0: i <laughs> morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Influential You podcast. I'm John Patterson, co-founder and CEO of Influential You and your co-host for this weekly podcast. At Influential You, we teach you how to take charge of your career and amplify your professional influence. Since 2009, we've helped thousands of business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs become more rewarded, more influential, and more you. Now today, we're speaking with Tim Nicholas, whose story began with some early losses he worked to overcome as an entrepreneur within a major children's hospital. And like many of us at work, Tim faced personalities failed to influence or struggled to understand. All of us need buy-in from others at work. Tim's remedy? He acknowledged his cognitive bias to think that other people share his worldview and then found true value in diverse personalities. Having first participated in our programs in 2011, my gosh, that's a long time ago, he still holds his role at the hospital, teaches now new fathers how to be new dads, and has recently joined the faculty at Influential U. And so with that, Tim Nicholas, it's great to have you join us here at the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. It's a pleasure. Tim, tell us a little bit about your, uh, you know, some of your early struggles uh, as I know I read in your notes, you were dealing with getting some buy-in early on and run into some problems with some personalities. What were you dealing with?
1: I think I was just afraid that people didn't like my ideas. I was in this headspace of let's chase innovation. Let's do things that are new and exciting and really buck the system, not really be embracing the, the past. And when I proposed some of these ideas, I got some negative feedback, and I just didn't have the thick skin to take that feedback and I think I was in this i was a inventor type personality is what I thought at the time, and I had new ideas, and anyone that wasn't into possibilities and creating new things was well frankly
0: wrong <laughs> I love that you say that i i'm so reminded I'm so reminded of something <laughs> because. Um I, I kind of grew up, <laughs> I, I'll call it like I, I grew up sort of imagining uh, all kinds of possibilities and what could be. And um, I think many of us grew up with the thought that we need to have a positive attitude. Or we need to see the glasses half full and, and all of that kind of stuff. I also found out that I might be wrong about that uh, <laughs> Did you did you grow up? Were there a bunch of people around you saying, you know, you should be more positive or or was that just natural for you?
1: I think it was just natural for me, but I was kind of pigeonholed into a career path. I was told that I was good at science and math at an early age. So I thought, mm, I'm going to pursue engineering and something math related. And a lot of the the career opportunities that I thought were presented to me didn't resonate with an inventor, weren't about new ideas. It was very technical and detail oriented. Yeah, Maybe I just wasn't exposed to the right, wasn't exposed to as much of the design side and the artistic side. I I don't think I can blame anyone else. I I gravitated to it for some reason, but it just wasn't a good fit when I got out into the real world
0: and tried doing this stuff on my own. So in your work, um, I know that you began work you have to describe it to me. Um, sure. Yeah. There was, yeah, tell me about the, what you saw that you might create within the hospital. And uh, cause that's some pretty impressive stuff that you went about t- to create and uh, eventually did do some, some good work in that area. What were you attempting to have people accept? What was the new idea?
1: That everyone has new ideas and there are, infinite possibilities out there and we should be putting a lot of resources into pursuing them even if it you know the bottom line it didn't impact the bottom line immediately that there are you know potential ideas for new products and services that could help our patients that uh, we should be pursuing and it had been going on around the
0: country yeah sorry uh and and there were examples of it arising around the country and did you have a particular kind of uh, it had something to do with. Uh, I'm so I'm so sorry, but I I yeah, know it, no and if I say what it is and I describe it, it's going to sound I'm going to sound so stupid. But I know you were working with uh, sort of mobility and children or something like that. Is is that correct?
1: Yeah, uh, it's always using digital technology, basically movement analysis. So a department where I've worked in the past is you have little reflective markers on the human body and then you create an avatar of that person as they walk. And then we use that to make clinical decisions on how to improve their walking ability. And it can result in uh, transferring tendons, lengthening muscles, cutting bones and rotating them. That's the, the clinical department where I worked, but I saw opportunities to use some of the new sensors that were coming from video gaming and, and different, you know the, the measuring devices that are embedded in your iPhone to help improve movement and engage kids in movement so i was really looking for an avenue to create to bring some of my ideas to fruition and at the same time create a resource for others to
0: bring their ideas into fruition gotcha all right gotcha so let's think about this from the perspective of anybody in an organization that needs to get buy-in from another person um now if you're like me and this is how it is for me i'm i i You know, work in an organization, and sometimes I need to get buy in from somebody that's rather critical. Sometimes I need to get buy in from someone who just wants to know, what do you want me to do? Or is afraid that (laughs) the thing that I'm going to come up with is now going to make a whole bunch of new things for them to do. So we all need to get buy in. And for you, you know, you were dealing with getting buy in from whom exactly? And you don't have to say their name, but was there a particular role in the company or a particular uh, kind of personality or was it a group of people?
1: It was a group of people. uh, I would say that different personalities, judge personalities and producer personalities. Let's just, I'm going to level with you, John. I was naive and I was just sort of stuck in my little paradigm of inventor land or somewhere high sided on the transaction cycle and i don't think i had you know we talk about how you gain confidence through competence and i did not have the competence i just had some ideas that i thought were so amazing and that i wanted to bring to fruition and i was able to you know really convince some people that these were great ideas and i didn't present the evidence but they weren't the transactional personalities that require evidence they saw a possibility from all my possibilities. And then when I worked around the transaction cycle, I was not selling the idea properly. I did get some support. So what I did, instead of facing the tough feedback from judges or some of the producers, I just eliminated from them from the transaction cycle. <laughs> so you could ask me how that worked out.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. How did that work out?
1: Uh, It was terrible. There was no one there to tell me that my ideas were, you know, with the historical record of why this didn't work. And in the past, which I now embrace wholeheartedly, you know, I love to have judges part of the transaction cycle. But at the time, you know, I really did a gap analysis after I tried some things and had some failures. And that's right around the time I uh, took fundamentals of transaction and really started to understand the whole architecture of what a transaction is supposed to look like how it is for every type of exchange with humans. And I was like, I had some vague sense of that part of the transaction cycle, but I was, I just ignored it because I couldn't take the tough feedback and I crashed and burned. I was selling things that I couldn't deliver on. I didn't even have the producers in place. I thought that I could do it all. I'm the inventor. I'll be the performer and sell it. And I kind of had that part pretty well handled, but then it's
0: like coming up with, deliverables and I couldn't get them done. So you've now joined our faculty and you know Mm -hmm. now a lot about the different personalities. Um, You talk a little bit about your own cognitive bias towards thinking everybody should think like you do. What did you discover about that?
1: Yeah. Wow. I, you know, I call it the ether, that backside of the transaction cycle that I was not paying attention to from where the producer hands it off to the judge and makes the assertions and assessments. Uh, But I realized that it takes a team, but that different personalities should be in certain parts of the transaction cycle. The one that I came across and had evidence time and time again, is if you're going to plan these things, you need the producers in the room. You have to include them. I know we say that all the time, but it can't be said enough because they're the ones are going to be doing the work on the factory floor. And if you're struggling with that because you don't have the producers in place, then you're really in trouble. So I really thought that I was supposed to be doing it all and doing the producer work. And it just it wasn't happening. I had some support and some help, but I wasn't out there transacting for the help that I needed to build out the full transaction and have all the different personalities in place, the whole team in place. Yeah. And even when I learned it, I still didn't get it. It took me years to get it because I've been studying with you guys now that it's we, and I'm part of the team, you know, I took about, I went into uh, developing a tech startup to work on similar, similar technologies and I even knew what I was doing wrong going into it, but there was something there that I just could not ask for the help or transact for the help that was needed. It was like, okay, no, we have to do this all ourselves. I had a business partner and let's do this all ourselves. And then we'll have some you know, funding and then we'll bring on the team. And that's, mm. I don't think that's the right order. Some people can do it and that's amazing, but it was not working for me.
0: And do you think this is um, mostly, you as an inventor personality just dealing with the things an inventor personality normally deals with? Or is this a lot of just your own personal journey? Were you, you know, struggling with anything else about yourself? Did you think you were somehow flawed? Did you, what (laughs) what were you dealing with about all that? Boy, that's a loaded question. I would say everything
1: across the board. You know, part of it's, I have two cognitive biases that I'm unique and different than everyone else. And that the other one is that at the same time, I still think that everyone thinks the same way that I do. And if they don't, that they're wrong. So somehow I create this paradox where I'm stuck in both camps. I would say that I had been focusing in research and very technical work, very producer engineering type work. And it it just wasn't What I wanted to be doing, creating new things and working with people and building collaborations and possibilities and getting people excited about what we could build. And with all the technology that's coming down, that it's being developed in medical technology, it was just like we should be doing something amazing. So it was this I was certainly driven to, to create something new and something great, but I just wasn't facing my own naivete. And slash conceit like i thought i should be able to do this all yet something there was some underlying fear that you know you hear it all the time imposter syndrome it's now cliche you hear it in the media so much but sometimes imposter syndrome is valid because you haven't developed the competence to have the confidence so I actually went back and took a bunch of MBA classes, got a certificate in biotechnology and entrepreneurship as a result of taking fundamentals in tra- uh, of transaction. I went back to school for probably three years to build my competence to be able to, to develop some of these ideas and that led into the startup. Um, but <laughs> I think my business partner and I worked on that for several years using movement controlled video gaming to to engage kids in movement games where multiple kids with different levels of ability could all play. It was, you know, it seemed altruistic. It seemed great. And, but I just, I didn't have that good sense of the probability that something was going to fail. In my mind, I had this, it was the worst combination. It was inventor mind where I see the certainty, this is just how the future is going to be. And then there, there was some a dash of magical thinking in there because I would have these strings of success. I'm like, see, this is destined to happen. And then something would come and punch me in the jaw and I'd be like, wait, no, that's not supposed to happen. What's going on. And it just, it left me with a lack of, I would say resiliency. And yeah, I don't know what it was exactly, but right. you know, it, it was like destiny versus, you know, looking for signs instead of just buckling down and doing the work in action. So,
0: all right. So you've (laughs) now studied a lot. It sounds like you've had um, some real insights into yourself and what makes you tick and why you are the way you are and your own personality and transactional behavior. And um, I know from, you know, from having worked with you, you know, quite a bit now about your own personality. You learned a lot about working with the other personalities and how to address transactions with those others. Now, you already mentioned that with some of the judges, um, you recognize their, I think their value in the transaction. I know that that's a big deal for you. You now recognize rather than poo-pooing all your good ideas, they're now really valuable in the transaction. Do you want to comment on that?
1: Yeah, it's my favorite thing. I consider myself a PR agent for judges. They get a bad rap because, you know, they're skeptical and critical and confrontational. But I didn't realize how much they love people and how much they just care so much about protecting the business and your security and their security and and being the guardian of the bottom line. That I had them completely
0: wrong. And you know, I love to learn did, the history. Did <laughs> you just have, Did you think of them as like? you know naysayers what what did you oh, think yeah, about oh yeah absolutely well you know
1: not to be melodramatic but whenever i had it proposed this idea originally to uh, someone that identifies as a judge and they basically said well you know if you can come up with the funding and have a detailed plan and you can prove to me that it works then maybe we'll consider it i was like that's not how innovation works <laughs> and i just had this vision of him just crushing my soul or, you know, like in the Aztecs would reach in and cut your heart out and lay it out and just <laughs> it, watching it, you know, become emaciated in the sun. That, that was the visual I had instead yeah. of just someone who cared for me and cared for uh, what our mission was, just doing the right thing. So now I don't take a step without getting judge input. You know, it's critical.
0: And I think it'd be useful to, to talk about that for a second because we can say, well, I'm an inventor, I'm an idea person. And, you know, they're the skeptics, so they're going to poo poo things and make sure that it's, you know, a viable idea. If we talk to people now about working with the judge. So, as you know, we talk about the inventor and the judge working together in the planning area of things yeah what do you, what do you enjoy most about now working with the judge now that you're friends with them?
1: yeah any judge that I've worked with first they're just damn smart they know what's happened in the past and they know they know the standards and assessments like this is how things are this is how they've been this is what we've tried this is why they didn't work in the past and that is a great launch pad to develop new ideas. You know, I used to reject this whole idea that there are no new ideas. I'm like, why do we have to look to the past? Let's create newly and and develop these concepts. But without first, you know, having the responsibility to inventory your resources and know what you have to work with, you can do brainstorming sessions where you can release the constraints of resources for a while and get people's juices flowing. You don't really need to do that with inventors, you know, but if you have some producers and maybe judges in the room, maybe the judges shouldn't be in the brainstorming session, but sometimes it's appropriate. You have to get them freed up cognitively to come up with a lot of new ideas, because that's not their sweet spot. But aside from that, you need to have those that inventory of resources and really know what you have to work with before you go ahead and assess ideas and commit to some of those uh, ideas moving forward. So it's just valuable. And I, I find that A lot of the judges I've worked with, they just have really great stories about the past, too, and great senses of humor. So uh, I I just find it, you know, in the past, I thought because they're deconstructivist by nature that they're just picking everything apart. But that's what they're supposed to
0: do. So let's think about uh, some of our listeners who work in large organizations and they want to, you know, they're they're intrapreneurial. They would Mm -hmm. like to approach their company with some new ideas or new strategies. Uh, Maybe they think that if we did it this way or if we did it that way, then it would be better. Or maybe there are people that would like to offer the company, you know, them in some new role. How would you advise people, given what you now know about personality, how would you advise people to approach that situation Uh, given what you now know about personality.
1: Yeah, you have to keep every personality in mind and you have to identify, depending on the size of the organization, you know, if it's a small company, you might only be working with a couple of people. You might not have all the personalities represented. But when you're dealing with a judge, you want evidence. And when you're working with inventors, you want to present it in such a way that perhaps they think it's their idea. I think, but at the bottom, you know, the starting point is to make sure that you're doing your job and you're doing it well and you're providing value. And I think it's very beneficial to educate whoever it is you're working with or selling this idea to on the transaction cycle or transactional personalities. And if it's not our work, there's different versions that they might be able to use to just say, look, this is how I think, this is how you think, but this is where my real value of help is and be able to demonstrate what your strength and your value of help is before you know moving forward and of course you know you want to be clear on your aims and what the aims of the organization and those individuals are mm. always comes down to aims. step
0: one yeah absolutely step one all right well um is there anything that we should know about life now for you
1: yeah uh i <laughs> I'm a family man. I've got two little girls, a three-year-old and a six-year-old daughter, and I've been married. It'll be 10 years now. So I actually started doing this work before I got married. It seems hard to believe. So my wife and I are celebrating our 10th anniversary. And I, you know, a couple of years ago, studying with you and with Kirkland, I was talking to Kirkland. I'm like, how do I really master this work? I had reached out to him after the startup kind of crashed and burned I don't even know if crash and burn is the word. It never quite got off the ground. So it couldn't have that descent to crash and burn. I'm like, you know what? I know this stuff, but I'm not applying it. I need to immerse myself in the environment. And he, you know, so I took some higher level courses and they've been fantastic. And I said, well, how do I really learn this stuff? And he goes, well, come work with us. It had never occurred to me. Like that wasn't even a possibility on my radar. And And he proposed some different options. And so learning to teach and present in workshops, uh, support clients as a client manager, all those different things have, you know, I get the opportunity to work with you and with Kirkland and Josh and Liz and Marnie, you know, just that list drew uh, Daryl. I don't want to leave anyone out, but it's just that environment where influential you practices what it preaches and there's a way to transact through anything. And, And even just in the past few weeks, I've really come to grips with some things that I have not been transacting powerfully as I get different areas handled. I'm like, well, well that's an exchange with human beings. And I have an aim in that condition of life. You know, I have access to world-class medical help and I want to get in better shape and, you know, be more flexible, stronger, faster. Why am I not transacting for help with all these experts that I know? Mm. The help is out there. And as I present myself as valuable help to others, It's just, I would say one thing not to ramble on here, but I just took myself too damn seriously. And I was afraid to ask for help and admit that I didn't know how to do things once, you know, and I'm not through that storm yet. I don't think, but uh, you know, the more I embrace it, the more things just work stuff doesn't have to be hard. You don't have to struggle. You can actually just transact and, get the help you need and at the same time, help other people. And it, it works really beautifully.
0: Now you recently revealed to me that you are dealing with ADHD and that's a sort of something that you weren't really dealing with in a powerful way and now are beginning to anything you want to say about that. <laughs> sure. You know,
1: I, I, thought of myself as an inventor for many years and one day my wife pointed out and she hasn't taken the work but you know how you have a spouse and they just she's done some courses just knows the work and she goes I think you just think you're supposed to be an inventor I was like oh that hurts you know because I think I'm supposed to have all these great ideas and but I realized something that I love being with people and I do really live in the moment I'm not the the outgoing you know, super gregarious performer, but I think at the, at the end of the day, I really live in the moment. I value relationships. Whenever things become stressful, I look around and I'm like, is everyone okay? And, yeah, you know, that's a telltale sign <laughs> that I might be a performer. It doesn't matter whether I'm truly in the performer camp or the inventor camp, but I would sort of grapple with, well, you know, maybe I have ADHD. I've got all these, you know, check off the boxes. I'm not hyper. I don't interrupt people and, and come across as someone who's all over the place. But on the flip side, I overcompensate because I'm just sort of thinking through things and filtering things before they come out. But then I really learned about performers and I thought, you know what, maybe I don't have ADHD, maybe, you know, being in the moment and moving on to the next thing and forgetting things and, and having weak follow through. Maybe I'm just a performer. So I don't know what the real answer is. I think I avoided it, but just it turns out that just facing your own naivete, as Drew always says, just hunt it down. And it's so rampant with me once I identified it, just even in the past month or so, being able to transact for help and let people know where you need help. You know, I just pretended I had everything handled and I don't want to say that in the past tense, I pretend I'll say we pretend whoever it is that's in this camp with me. And I'm sure this will resonate with some people just pretend that we have everything handled. And really it's a, a facade. And in some cases, and we just need to face the music and ask for some help and people understand.
0: Yeah, And, correct. you know,
1: yeah and it really you you just have to remember oh i do have valuable help to extend to other people they can help me with this and i can help me with this or i can help them with this you know and when my wife sees this she's gonna be like this is what i've been saying for
0: almost (laughs) 10 years now so sorry honey yes thank her for thank her for us so um i love you bring it up and it's worth just underlining for a lot of people because when When people do our programs, we know that there is a way that you might take a quiz and find out which personality that you are, just like you can take some other quizzes like, you know, Disc or Myers Briggs or all of the, you know, hundreds of tests out there. One of the things that we recognize is that tests are kind of BS because (laughs) those personality tests have a kind of bias and we'll take the test wanting it to turn out in a particular way, or you could say that we want to see ourselves in a particular light and therefore we'll answer the questions according to how we hope to be seen or how we'd like to think of ourselves rather than how we are or perhaps even how others might see us. So many people um, do our programs and start their journey off thinking, oh, I'm an I'm an inventor. And then come to the realization, I'm probably not an inventor. I may be this or that, right? Or, you know, avoiding, I don't wanna be a judge. I don't wanna be a judge. And so many people end up, you know, really after some inquiry and some proper accurate thinking, discover that they might be a judge personality. Personally, for anybody listening, we're not so committed that you discover which one you are. What we do want is we want you to think accurately about yourself and about other people and how to transact more and more and more and more effectively with all those differing personalities so i I love that you said that all right well um one of the last things we do in the podcast team is we give people the opportunity for a little soapbox moment so is there anything that you would like to say anything you're you know passionate about or care deeply about that you want to uh let us know
1: yeah, it's something that I discovered. you know it doesn't really matter what your personality is. You'll figure that out what your strengths and weaknesses are. I used to joke that I'm either an inventor with a confidence problem or a performer with social anxiety. And wow. you know <laughs> that was ten years ago. I realized that that's not being responsible for your identity. Now I really focused on the fact that I've got positive attributes in both camps. but it's not just the personalities. once you Understand how transactions work, even if you're an inventor or a performer, you now know that there are different moves and phases or conditions of transaction, and you have that curse of knowledge, you're now responsible for that. So if you're going out on a new endeavor, and it's just you or you don't have your team fully built, it doesn't mean that you neglect those parts of the transaction, you have to be responsible for them, either handle them yourself, but ideally find the right people and the right team That help you build out that transaction properly, and you know, I would say the other sort of red flag you want to look for is if you're an inventor and you're doing it all, don't just then hand off things completely. You have to be responsible for managing it. I think that we have this tendency to just say, okay, uh, someone else is doing that; they're they're handling it. You have to make sure it comes to plan. There is maintenance. There is management involved. And it's a pitfall of many entrepreneurs. I think Gerber says it in the E-Myth that so many entrepreneurs do that. They get the help and then they kind of step away from the business and they have to go back and and kind of save it in the future. So just being responsible for the totality of the
0: transaction cycle is going to pay off dividends. That's great. Well, Tim, thanks so much for being with us today. It's a pleasure to have you with us and to share your knowledge and your journey with people. So thanks a lot. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. All right. Well, if you would like to know more about us, then you can go to InfluentialU.global and explore our cu- our courses, consulting, uh, our conferences. We offer a four-year curriculum for those seeking an advanced experience. However, if you're new to Influential You, we recommend you start with Thrive Self-Guided Training. Thrive is a self guided program that lets you learn at your own pace. Thrive members enjoy weekly live e coaching sessions and an ever expanding library of exclusive video lessons with our faculty, thought leaders, and industry experts. You'll get proven proprietary tools to accurately assess your career and develop a realistic strategy to achieve your aims faster. Your membership also includes chat access to faculty, plus discounts to our transformative conferences. Sign up today and use promo code 20OFF for a 20% discount on the monthly subscription. That's coupon code 20OFF. Next week, we're gonna interview Sean Gillespie. He's a successful artist who realized that sometimes his idea is not the best idea. In fact, Sean is a great example of a solopreneur who found new freedom, productivity, and big financial wins by putting together an effective team. You're not going to want to miss talking with Sean. We love him to death. He's been around with us for a long time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Each week, we stream live at 2 p.m. Pacific on our website, Facebook, LinkedIn, or YouTube, so you can easily share this with others. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or any place you get your podcasts. Check out our show notes for links to connect with our guests, plus links to websites, books, or special downloads we talked about on today's episode. This, this podcast is made possible by the Influential You staff members and members uh, mentors around the world. Special thanks to our executive producer, Tyson Crandall, with contributions from Michael Tehe, Joey Anderley, Darrell Anderley, and Paul West. The Influential You podcast is produced by Influence Ecology, LLC in Ventura, California. This episode was recorded on August 10th, 2022, and the podcast theme is by Chris Standring, entitled Fast Trade Everywhere. If you haven't yet offered a rating review, I ask that you take a moment, go to iTunes or your podcast app and let us know what you think. This helps us more than you know.